right, we're going to be in Acts chapter 6. Just so you know, I asked Miss Becky if I could come see tonight, but Mr. Huey, he gets, he gets agitated in the evenings. So I just want to let you know that, so respect that tonight. Uh, but certainly reach out to her, if you would, and, um, and just pray for them. appreciate you doing so. Uh, we're in Acts chapter 6 this evening. Anyone else got a prayer need such as that? I try to stay on top of all of those. If, if I don't know of anything, please let me know or the church office know. And uh, we'll certainly reach out and stay on top of it and uh, try to be uh, as big a help as we can uh, to our church body. We're in Acts chapter 6 tonight, okay? And I want you to stand if you would. And uh, we're going to read, we're going to concentrate on the first seven verses tonight. Uh, but I just want you to stand up for a moment, get the blood flowing. And um, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're just going to read verse number one this evening. And uh, we'll get into the rest throughout the message. Uh, but read with me, if you, if you would, Acts chapter 6, verse number 1. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Our fathers, we come together tonight. Lord, as we've started a new year and we get back into our study of the books of the Bible, Lord, we thank you for a good service this morning. And I thank you, Father, how you moved in all of our hearts and that your spirit, Lord, was very evident today. And, Lord, I, I was very conscious of it while I was preaching today. And I knew that you were with me and helping me. And I could see it move throughout our congregation. And, Lord, I give you the glory and praise for that. Now, as we look at something tonight here in Acts chapter 6, I'm praying, Father, that you would... Uh, minister to us through the Word of God. This is where we're at now as we continue our study through the book of Acts. And tonight, we're in chapter 6, and we're focusing on some particular issues within the church. And I pray, Father, that you would give us a spirit and a desire, Lord, to want to learn and to grow and to become everything you want us to be. Bless us this night, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you'll see on the screen tonight the title of our message, Murmurings Within a Multiplying Ministry. Murmurings Within a Multiplying Ministry. As we've been studying the book of Acts, the growth of the New Testament church of Jerusalem is evident. You remember in chapter 2, the disciples were standing there preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. They delivered the gospel. We have Peter's sermon recorded in the book of Acts. And by the end of that thing, 3,000 people came to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It was a grand and glorious day, and it was the institution of the local church. And when you look at the last verse of Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, the chapter concludes saying that the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. All of us tonight realize that God wants to use the church to reach a lost world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. All agree? Amen. We, all, we understand that tonight. Otherwise, when you get saved, God would just take us to heaven. But that's not his plan. His plan is to use us to spread the good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. 
We get to chapter 3, and Peter and John were on their way to a prayer meeting, and they met the lame man, lame from all of his life. And Peter told him to look on him, and he says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he, Peter reached him and grabbed him by the hand, and he helped the man up, and the man le- jumped up. And he began to walk, and he began to leap, and he began to praise God, and he went in the temple, and everybody gathered around, and Peter saw an opportunity, and he preached, and he delivered the gospel. And we find that 5,000 men were led to Christ at a prayer meeting. And then in Acts chapter 5, in verse 14, the scriptures tell us that believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes both of men and women and such a ministry will indeed attract Satan's attention do we understand that the Bible says I was thinking about this when Darren was praying just now how the Lord seems to smile upon our ministry and we we rejoice when we when we give the testimony that dozens of people accepted Christ as their Savior through the ministries of our church, we rejoice. But the Bible says that there's rejoicing in heaven, the presence of the angels over one sinner who repenteth, right? Well, when something wonderful like that happens, when people are coming to Christ, it gets the attention of heaven, but I'm going to tell you something, it also gets the attention of hell. And as, as, as much as we want to glorify God and how the Lord is blessed when we're faithful and we, we put ourselves in a position for him to use us, we can be certain that Satan, we have Satan's attention, and he wants to do things that will hinder the movement and the growth of believers. And so in Acts chapter 4, after Peter and John, and Peter once again preached and 5,000 men were saved, The Bible says that they were taken and they were threatened to never speak the name of Jesus again. They were let go. They could not argue over the miracle that had taken place with the man. You cannot argue, Mike, with a changed life. Can't argue with that. You have to recognize that and you got to realize something made the difference there. And Peter was very quick to say, it wasn't us. If you want to know what happened to this man, it was in the name and power of Jesus Christ. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is never, it is never Somerville Baptist Church that is worthy of the glory. It is God who gets all the glory for it. We're thankful to be a part of it. We're thankful we put ourselves in a position for God to do that. But as a result of God moving, there was a threatening. You can go, but don't speak anymore about Jesus. But a true servant finds a way to continue to deliver truth. Because it's more important for us to obey God rather than men. In chapter 5, once again, the high priests and other Sadducees, they... They placed the apostles in the prison. 
Once again, they are delivering the gospel and they're delivering truth and they just cannot stop despite the, the threats. And they were so furious over their preaching, the Bible tells us that they would have killed them had Gamaliel not stepped in. Gamaliel was a very respected Jewish teacher. We'll later learn that Saul of Tarsus, who saved, becomes the Apostle Paul. But Saul, when he was a religious Pharisee, sat under the teaching of Gamaliel. And Gamaliel said, you just got to leave these guys alone because either it's of God or it's not. And if it's not of God, it'll wither away. But it's of God, you're not going to stop it. So they let them go once again after they beat them. And the Bible tells us in Acts 5 and verse 48 that they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. When is the last time you and I have rejoiced that we suffered shame for the name of Christ? That's convicting. We could say amen right there. Let's give the invitation. When's the last time we rejoiced that someone had a problem with us because we refused not to share the gospel? It was that important to us. It says in verse 42, after they were beaten in chapter 5, and daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Despite the opposition's strategic attacks of persecution, the gospel continued to be preached and the church continued to grow to the point that in our text, in verse number 1, the Bible tells us that it's moved from addition to multiplication. It says in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplied, that's the first time that word shows up in the book of Acts. Before the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. All right. Where's Garrett at tonight? There he is. I won't make you do it, but I don't know why you're not up here. You three come up here. Have a seat on the front row. Now, Will, I want you to come up here, if you would, okay? Now, I've come across, Will's my son, and his mother and I led him to the Lord. I remember that day very well. When he accepted Christ as his Savior, he was added to the church. Are you with me? Sawyer, come on up here. Get on over there. Sawyer is child number three by one minute. I promise you he reminds, he reminds Clay of that. Sawyer came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. His, his mom and I led him to the Lord. When he got saved, he was added to the church. Clay, come on up here. Clay is our fourth child. Clay came to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He came to his mom and I, and we led him to the Lord together. 
And when he got saved, he was added to the church. And his name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen? Garrett's our oldest. He was the first to come to the Lord, but evidently today he's backslidden. <clears throat> These three were added to the Lord. Now, what's the difference here? When you first start, God's called the apostles to go and to share the gospel, beginning in Jerusalem, and that's what they've done. They haven't gone to the far reaches of Judea and Samaria, eventually going to the uttermost parts of the world. By the time you get to the end of the book of Acts, that's what has taken place. But right now, everything's concentrated in Jerusalem. And the apostles are leading people to Christ. But there is something important that we understand that's it's more than just leading people to Christ. We now have a responsibility to these young men. And the responsibility is to disciple them. Because that is also a part of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not evangelism only. But it's discipling and it's teaching and so over time, they're being taught, and they're learning, and they're growing. And they're going to learn, they're learning how to share the gospel to others. And in, in time, as they grow in the Lord, will suddenly, he goes, and he reaches somebody with the gospel. And Sawyer reaches a teammate with the gospel. And Clay, Clay's spiritual. He leads two of his classmates to the Lord. And I still got a responsibility to share the gospel, and I'll lead somebody to the Lord. And you see up here, there's four of us standing here. And now we're not just adding, we're multiplying. Because if all four of us lead somebody to the Lord, how many people have now come to Christ? Now it's eight. And then we train and we disciple them. And we're continuing to minister and we're continuing to witness and we're continuing to share the gospel. But now all eight individuals are going and they're going to find their one. And all of a sudden when all eight of us have led somebody to the Lord, how many do we have now? Sixteen. I've got some college people in this room. Sixteen. And six. we get to sixteen far quicker than I get to 16 by myself. And that is God's plan for the local church. It's not just the pastor and it's not just the deacons or the life group leaders. It's everybody being a part of discipling and training and finding your one because we want to see, we want to see God's church multiplied. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 6, it's now multiplying. And it's growing more rapidly. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Y'all can go sit down. Be sure your Bibles are open. The devil has tried a couple of ways. He's tried through the Sadducees and the religious leaders. And his outward attempts thus far to hinder the ministry of the local church have proven fruitless. So in tonight's text, what I want us to see is he uses a different approach by attacking the church from within its ranks. 
He's going to get inside and try to mess things up. This is why this is so important. Because in America, I believe this is his greatest method. Because you and I tonight, we are not persecuted because we're at church. And we have a, really, we have, and we can talk about maybe we're losing some of those liberties. But even still, we have more liberties than most people in the world as far as sharing the gospel. So we can't really stand up and say, oh, I know what it is to be persecuted and to be beaten because of my faith in Christ. We really don't know what that's like. But probably what we've all experienced is this. Satan attacking within the walls of the church. Satan hinders the work of the local church by getting the local church to think more about themselves than reaching a lost world with the gospel. Churches don't split because of religious persecution. As we learn throughout the book of Acts, the more that the disciples were persecuted, the more on fire they got for the Lord and the more the church grew. Persecution doesn't stop the work of the gospel. What stops the work of the gospel is when I'm more concerned about myself than I am about reaching other people. Because suddenly... I'm not seeing you for who you are, and I'm not seeing you for your needs. All I can do is focus on myself, my needs, and my wants. And that is when my wife tells me to get over myself. People don't leave churches because they're happy to serve. They leave because of a personal conflict we got to recognize that. And we have to recognize as we get to this particular chapter, and we understand that this is really, even though the word is not used, everyone agrees, this is where the institution of deacons in the local church took place. But why did they take place? Why did this happen? That's what I want to focus on tonight. The first point I have for you tonight is the reason for their murmurings. Notice the timing in verse 1. Read it with me again. And in those days, when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Now I want us to realize this. The murmurings weren't taking place when everything was going wrong, or there was some form of doctrinal error. Because if I'm getting to a point where I'm not preaching the word of God, and doctrinally I go out of line, there ought to be some murmuring and some complaining. But that's not the case here. The murmuring and complaining were taking place when disciples were being multiplied. God's church was growing. People were on fire for the Lord. So the murmurings took place while the gospel is being preached. Sinners are getting saved. The church is multiplying with growth. But somebody decides, 
I'm just not happy with it. And my needs aren't being met. And preacher, what is your problem? You're not meeting my needs. Now let's understand something here. It says that there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Now what I want us to understand is the Grecians were not Gentiles. The gospel to this point hasn't reached the Gentiles. The Grecians, if you study the word, is referring to Hellenistic Jews rather than Gentiles, meaning that they were Greek-speaking Jews born in foreign lands rather than the Hebrews who were Palestinian Jews by birth. They weren't born in Israel. They were born in the Greek-speaking parts of the world. They spoke Greek. But they're Jews themselves, and they're also saved. The Hebrews were very proud of their heritage. They were rigid observers of the law of Moses, which led them to sometimes look upon their fellow Jews who were born among the Gentiles with contempt. It's kind of like this. I was raised, not personally, but I was raised in this. I was raised in church. I was drugged to church. I went to vacation Bible school and youth camp, and, and we, were, we learned the Bible since I was little bitty. Church is a way of life for me. But somebody comes in the church, and they're covered in tattoos. And they just got out of jail, and they come in, and, 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 and Larry and Michael went there, and they led them to the Lord. And they come in here, and they don't know... They don't dress like you dress. They don't talk like you talk. When I was 19 years old and started going to church, I had a filthy mouth. And I even said some things among the youth group that I shouldn't have said. But I thought that's what everybody did. There were times where I did some things that my pastor pulled me aside and rather, rather discouraged me to the point that I wanted to leave. He lovingly rebuked me and showed me the right way. The Hebrew Jews, they were, they were rigid observers of the word of God. They knew where they were from. And they looked, on those, they looked on those Hellenistic Jews and said, yeah, you might be one of us by blood, but you're not really one of us. You might be saved, Don, but you don't look anything like me. Now, the Hellenistic Jews gloried in their wider freedom and felt that the Hebrews of Palestine were too narrow-minded and self-centered. I've heard that argument before. You see, they weren't raised in church. And so they have a tendency at times to think outside of the box a little bit because that's not the way they always did it. 
They're just doing a way that they're saying, hey, why not? And so there's naturally a conflict a little bit about, a little bit there. There's naturally a conflict. And so sometimes in our local churches, this one doesn't look like me, doesn't like the things that I like, and doesn't take the same stand. Both are saved. But if we're not loving and gracious toward one another, there starts to be some friction there. Now we see their timing. It's not when there's doctrinal error. It's when the church is on fire for God. And some of them come to the preachers and they say, we're just not happy with how we're being treated. And I'm just going to be honest with you. That distracts. It's a distraction. Because as a pastor and a shepherd, I'm concerned for you. And I want to be sure you're taken care of. But all of a sudden, I'm so concerned making sure you're cared for that I'm not over here preparing to preach to the people. Now look at their gripe at the end of verse 1. It says there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Why? Because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. In other words, our widows are not getting the same attention others are getting. And the Bible doesn't make it clear to us whether they were or they weren't. But what that was their problem. Now would you turn over with me a little bit to Acts chapter 4 and look with me in verse 32. Let's begin in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spoke, spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. You say, what is that? That's what you call unity. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Everyone looked out for one another. Everyone. And they didn't always know the needs. They suspected the apostles did. And so they brought, they brought what they could to the apostles and said, you direct this to where it needs to go. I don't always know what the needs are, but you direct this. And everybody was unified. And as a result, Carrie, because of their unity, the gospel was able to go forth. And there was great power with a witness. So what changed between Acts 4 and Acts chapter 6? What changed? Everybody's needs were being met, but something changed. 
by the time you get to chapter 1 and somebody says, well, we appreciate all you're doing, but our widows, we're not getting, we're not getting what your widows are getting. I happen to see they got two loaves of bread. You only gave my widow one. They start comparing themselves amongst one another. Are you with me? That's never a good thing. And maybe, well, we'll get to that second. So I want to handle this in two lights tonight. And we're going to do it very quickly. The first, I want to look at the one making the complaint. And I want to ask three questions tonight. Because all of us can convince ourselves that our cause is legitimate. Are you with me? We can convince ourselves that we're being done wrong and our cause is legitimate. We'll play that thing over and over in our head. We'll look at things from our perspective. Our perspective. We'll see them the way that we see them. And we'll convince ourselves that our cause is legitimate. And maybe it is. But I think we have to ask ourselves, what is the spirit and motive behind my complaint? What is the spirit behind it and what is the motive behind it? Why am I really upset? Do I have a really good reason? Because if, if you do, you need to bring it up. What is the spirit and motive behind it? Now, we don't know. We don't know their spirit and their motive. Other than this, they just didn't feel like their widows were being cared for as much as the Hebrews. So what is our spirit and motive behind our complaint? Secondly, who am I murmuring to? Who am I complaining to? Because I've been as guilty as this as anyone. I murmur to the person who will listen to me. Not the person who I have to complain against. But I'll find someone who will listen to me. And I'll plead my case. And I hope they're in agreement. Because if they're in agreement, well, that just added fuel to it. Because now I'm really going to tell them how I feel. And the person that I had the problem with to begin with, I never talked to them about it. I don't reveal that to them. I just start spreading a little bit of my feelings with this person, and that person tells them how I feel. And next thing you know, you've got a problem. So who am I murmuring to? I made a decision. You come to me with a complaint, I'm going to ask you, have you talked to them? Because if you haven't, we're done. Go talk to them. Check your motive. Check your spirit. 
Third question. Is my complaint more important to me than being a part of witnessing believers being multiplied? Is it more important that my need gets met than it is seeing the work do what it's really supposed to be doing. And that's reaching other people. Because what kills a lot of churches is they become inward focused and not outward focused. And what kills a lot of Christians is they become inward focused and not gospel focused. So how important is my complaint? I have to ask myself that. And if it's that important, I need to bring it up. But I need to be careful, Darren, that I don't have a woe is me attitude. More so than I have a God use me attitude. So let's look at it in the other light. Let's look at the response to the murmurings. What about the person receiving the complaint? Well, I have to ask myself, first of all, what is my spirit like in the face of criticism? What's my spirit like? Because I know this, I know that at times I try my very best and I try to talk to the Lord As often as possible. But there are times where I'll say something I wish I didn't say. And I try my best not to do that. But what is my spirit like in the face of criticism? Because some people, if you go to them, if you come to me and you want to voice a complaint, well, you may come lovingly and graciously, or you may come angry. And th- What's my spirit like? Because I promise you this, Chris, if you come at me angry and I come back to you angry, we're fixing to explode. And I should be more spiritual than that, don't you think? Because I think of Christ. How did Christ, how did Christ handle his accusations? We'll look later at Stephen. Let's just read about Stephen real quick. Stephen's one of the men that they selected. But let's look at Stephen's spirit in the face of accusations. Then there arose in verse 9, certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and Cyrenians, and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia, and Asia, Disputing with Stephen. I mean, they were coming out of the woodworks after Stephen. Alexandria is in Egypt. Everybody was after Stephen. And in verse 10, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. 
So verse 11, they suborned men which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and called him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses which said, This man seeketh not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. No, they didn't. They're lying. They're falsely accusing him. They don't like him. They got a problem with him. And the whole time in verse 15, and all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. What is my spirit like in the face of criticism? Secondly, do I consider the complaint with humility or dispute it out of arrogancy? Because it's easy for my pride to step in. You're not going to tell me I'm wrong. I'm right. And if that's always our goal in an argument... Might as well shut the doors. The goal is never to prove that we're right. The goal is to help one another grow as believers in Christ. So, do I consider it with humility? Or do I, or do I just rise up with arrogancy? And rather than listen to you, 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 I'm not going to say you've ever done this. But have you ever, have you ever talked to somebody and you're telling them something and you can see it on their face? They're thinking about their response without even listening to what you've got to say. Once you get done, they've already, they're already replying. I'm like, you didn't, you didn't listen to me. You just want to argue with me. That's arrogancy. And humility, how can I help you? This is important to you. That's why you're bringing it to me. How can I help you? The third question. Am I willing to work to find a solution that will help further the gospel? Or is my only goal to prove that I was right all along? Because ultimately their complaint was against the apostles. You're not doing your job. You're not meeting the needs. Y'all are helping out this group and you're not helping out this group as much. And I got a problem with you. And they could have said, listen, don't tell me I'm wrong. I'm the preacher. Right? No doubt that's happened more than it needs to. So what is my spirit like? There is always a measure of truth to every criticism. They may not be completely right. They may not have a full understanding. And they may not see it the same perspective that I see it from. 
but there's always a measure of truth to it. And if I'm willing to listen to it, I can better myself. Or I can be arrogant and say I'm already as good as I'm supposed to be. It goes both ways. It goes both ways. Because some can murmur and complain despite how God is moving and become a distraction. But I do have a responsibility to listen. What's going on with you? How can I help you? How can we get to a place where we're back focused on what is important and we're all going forward making disciples and seeing the ministry multiply? Because I'd rather you be here and see the ministry multiply than me be doing it by myself and only adding. How do we deal with it? Well, let's wrap this up tonight. How did the apostles deal with it? You heard the complaint in verse 1. Verse number 2. The twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them. Remember they're multiplying. The church is really growing. And they call the church together. And they said it's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. The truth is the ministry has just grown exponentially. And it's more than they can handle. And you can't lead a church of 300 like you can lead a church of 50. You certainly can't lead a church of 10,000 like you can a church of 300. And so they didn't take it personally. They didn't come back argumentatively and say, yes, we are. We're doing the best we can. We're doing the best we can. As a matter of fact, we're treating you the same as everybody else. You need to get right with God. You need to get your spirit right. You need to get right with the Lord. That's not how they responded. They called the people together. They said, it's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Our responsibility is to preach the word and preach the gospel. Wherefore, brethren, verse 3, look ye out among you seven men of honest report. Honest men. A good testimony. Men filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continue to prayer. And to the ministry of the word. They didn't say they were right. They didn't say the murmurers were wrong. They just said we'll get some, we'll get some people to look into it. And make sure it's done what it, the way it needs to be done. That's the right spirit. There's trying, Satan's trying to destroy it from within. Look at yourself. Look at your family. Nobody loves you. Nobody cares about you. Christy says, just get over yourself. Are you doing it for the Lord or for them? Verse 5, 
There's no more murmuring. The saying pleased the whole multitude. And they selected men, Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Ghost, Philip, Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Man, he wasn't like a Palestinian Jew. He's a converted individual whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. They found a solution. So as we deal with this and we close. We preach this tonight because that's where the Lord led us to in Acts chapter 6. Tonight was the night this message is preached. We should expect opposition from the world, but we should never expect opposition in the church. This is a place of refuge. This is a place of growing. And everybody's prone to make mistakes from time to time. And there are times where we need to bring that to attention of the people that it needs, it needs to be brought to. But there are also some times where we just need to be gracious with one another. And I need to step back and say, you know what? Mike just needs to grow in the Lord a little bit. And the Lord can do a better job of that than me making him do what I tell him to do. And maybe we can do things better. And Lord, give us the wisdom to do it. If you have a reason to murmur or complain, ask yourself, what is the spirit and motive behind your complaint? Who are you murmuring to? And is your complaint more important to you than being a part of witnessing believers being multiplied? Is it more important that your needs are met than it is to make sure the needs of others are being met? And the one that's being complained to, what is your spirit like in the face of criticism? Consider Christ. Consider the complaint with humility rather than arrogancy. And always be willing to work to find a solution that will help further the gospel rather than just prove you were right all along. And if we all do that, together, we'll see the word of God increase and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And God will get the glory rather than Satan getting the victory. 
Don't let them destroy our church. Don't let them destroy your family. Don't let them destroy your testimony. Make sure the important things remain the important things. Let's bow our heads tonight.